0: Good morning. morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. My name is Anthony Seitzma. I'm one of the missionaries that you support as a church. My wife is Sarah Seitzma, and her parents are Mike and Nancy Ladenberger, long-time members of this church. Um, We are missionaries in Uganda with the organization called World Renew, where I'm teaching pastors, and Sarah is teaching farmers. I think you might know us from the videos we've shared with you on the screen here at church. We've heard that you know us as kind of the missionaries with the crazy videos where we're always uh, holding lots of animals. I don't remember um, what animals were in the video, whether we were holding rabbits or ducks or chickens or goats or our dogs or chameleons. I can't keep track of what uh, what videos we sent you, but that's who we are. And uh, we're here for four months and glad to be able to um, be with you for this time. Um, Pastor Jeremy has been going through uh, the book of Mark and looking at who Jesus is in the book of Mark, and he invited me to preach this Sunday. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to preach and to be with you. And Sarah and I are also grateful for your support as a church. We feel very loved by all of you, and it's good to be with you this morning. Before I read the text, I'd like to pray for God's guidance. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time to worship you. You are good. You are our God. We love you. Thank you for your word. It is a gift to us. Ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Open our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand. Help us to listen. And give me the words to speak. Guide me by your spirit. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 5. If you have one of the church Bibles, that's on page 1068. Mark chapter 5. We heard from Pastor Jeremy last week about how Jesus had power over the storm, over the weather. Now we're continuing on to chapter 5. I'll read verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is God's word for us this morning. As we start, I want to ask you this question. I think you have it up on the screen before we go deeper into the story. The question is, Do you ever think about demons from day to day besides when you read Bible stories like this? Do you ever think about demons from day to day besides when you read Bible stories like this? I think that most of us don't. Maybe it's kind of like thinking about certain kinds of horrible diseases that we might get. Most of us, we don't think about them. Uh, we don't learn about them. We don't study them until someone in our family gets that horrible disease. And then we can't think about anything else. Maybe it's like that for us with demons also. Maybe we believe that they're real, but we don't think about them from day to day unless we read a story like this one or unless we come face to face with them. I want to tell you about my friend Glenn. He's a missionary in the country of Bolivia. He's a church planter there. And one day at church, a young man and his mother came to church. This young man's name is Kevin. When Kevin came to church, after the church service, Glenn was talking to him. And immediately, Glenn started to think, Kevin might be demon-possessed. Even though Glenn had never encountered something like that before. Kevin was speaking as if he had two different personalities and two different voices. And he even had a name for the other voice that was speaking to Glenn. Now, they talked a long time, and in the end, uh, Glenn found out that Kevin had participated in this satanic ritual, and he had invited this spirit into his life because his friends told him this is the way to have a prosperous and happy life. But they, they talked and Glenn preached the gospel and the good news is that Kevin renounced the spirit. He trusted in Jesus and accepted him as his savior and he became at peace. This other voice left. The weird disturbing things he was saying stopped and he was at peace in his right mind. Now, the complicated reality of ministry is that sometimes things don't go always the way we want. And even though this demon had left Kevin, he did not continue coming to church very consistently and did not keep growing in his relationship with Christ. But Glenn is still trying to reach out to him and follow up. But my point is that Glenn had never been thinking about (laughs) demons on a daily basis. He, He never had to deal with this. He never had to worry about it until it came to him face to face. And he had to do an exorcism. I don't know what you think when you hear me say the word exorcism. Maybe you think of horror movies or something, but it's actually a good word and it's a word we need to reclaim as Christians. It just, it simply means that we drive, an exorcism is driving a demon out of a person. And we believe as Christians that that happens through the power of Christ. Before we can go deeper into this passage and look about Look at what Jesus has done. We need to think about the true problem that we face. Demons are real, and they are in the world today. It can be hard to believe this. It can seem very uneducated. It can seem very primitive. It's like the people who think the earth is flat. Why, why would you believe in demons? Are you living 200 years ago? It's hard. It's hard probably for most of us here to believe in them. We read them in the Bible, but it's it's still hard. It's a matter of faith. And I want to give those of you who are maybe struggling with that belief, are they really real or are these just stories? I want to give you a few ideas to think about that may help you. I hope they help you. The first is this. Many of us easily believe in angels. Talk about guardian angels. We have television shows about angels. We believe that God sends his angels to protect us. We easily believe in angels. If we believe that God created spirits who serve him and who worship him, why is it so hard to believe that some of these spirits also don't worship God and they have set themselves up as enemies of God? Another thing to consider, second, is that Jesus himself believed in demons. He knew that they were real, and he drove them out of people. And if we believe that Jesus spoke the truth, if we believe that Jesus was right in his mind, he was not delusional, then we should also believe in demons, even if it seems so crazy and strange. And third... Third idea here is don't reject belief in demons because of racism or ethnocentrism. Those are big words. Let me explain. It's very common, I've heard this myself from Christians in the United States, that they say, oh, there's so many stories of demons being in people in other countries. And it's because demons aren't really real or they're not really doing that. It's just that those people there in those other countries... They're a bit uneducated. They're a bit superstitious. They're not so wise and intelligent like us here in the United States with all of our education. Don't think like that. It's our natural tendency, even for me, to feel superior to other people, but we must not think like that. People in other countries are not stupid. They're very intelligent. And Satan also is not stupid. He's not an idiot. I want you to consider this. Satan is the arch enemy, the the main villain of God throughout the entire story of the universe. The main villain of this story of the world. He's not an idiot. In countries where people easily believe in spirits, like Uganda, where we come from, people easily believe in spirits and they're afraid of them. In those places, I think that Satan works to keep people stuck in that fear. So, um, People are constantly doing rituals and getting charms and things to try to appease the spirits. And Satan uses that and keeps them in bondage and keeps them in fear of him. So showing his power to them is effective there. But imagine in Midland, Michigan, if we came across a person who was demon-possessed, what would your reaction be? If all of us saw that, we would probably come to church every day for the next week. And we'd be praying and we'd be asking God for his help. It would wake us up, it would shake us to want to think about God and spiritual things. Satan knows that. This is my idea anyway. <laughs> I don't know his mind, but I think Satan knows that that showing his power here would not accomplish what he wants. So I imagine that Satan spends his time working in the United States in Different ways, more hidden ways, maybe bringing destruction through false ideologies, maybe through trying to silence people who speak the truth, maybe through, uh, tempting us to sin, maybe through spreading lies. It's like he's working covertly, like a, like a secret agent. I imagine that demons whisper to people saying, what does it matter if I just give in to a little more pornography? I've already looked at it already. What if, why don't I keep going? What if I just give in a little more? When we, when we are thinking about God's commands for our lives, what God has said, what God has commanded, maybe demons whisper to us what Satan said in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Did God really say that? So I think that he's working in these more quiet ways, still causing a mess, but in a different way than he does in other countries. But don't make the mistake of thinking that Satan only works in these quiet ways in the U.S. There are still demon possessions here too. We just don't always see it, and a lot of people try to hide it because they don't want to be ridiculed. In the entire Roman Catholic Church in the United States, in the year 2011, they had 15 exorcists, people who specialized in driving demons out of people. In, in the year 2011, 15 of them in the Roman Catholic Church. Today, just a few years later, there are over 100 exorcists now doing that. You can see things are happening. Satan is still doing things even here in the U.S., and people are seeking out people to help them. Demons are real, and they are in our world today, even if we cannot see them. This man from the tombs in Mark chapter 5 had the same problem. This man from the tombs also was dealing with these demons. Let's look more closely at the story and see how Jesus responded. Before this, Jesus had just come from the Sea of Galilee. He had Quieted the storm, we saw that from Pastor Jeremy last week. And now they've they've crossed to the other side of the sea, and they come to the region of the Gerasenes. I won't go into all the details about this country, but the important thing to know is that it was a Gentile area, not Jewish people, but Gentile people. When they arrive to the area, a man comes out to meet them. This man who has the spirits in him. He doesn't have a name, but I want to give him a name. Let's call him Simon to make it easier. Okay, So Simon comes out to meet Jesus and the disciples, and he's possessed by demons. We might wonder, how did this happen? How did he get these demons inside of him? We don't know, but I imagine maybe he had lived a life of worshiping other gods. Maybe he had called upon other gods to help him, to give him strength, to give him prosperity, and somehow was possessed after inviting them into his life. He had went on to be arrested many times. He was causing a lot of trouble in the community, and they could not contain him. He was even breaking chains. And then he went to live in the tombs. He was no longer in control of his life. The demons were in charge of his life. Think about what he was doing. He was living as if he was already dead. He's living in tombs, lying with dead bodies. He's gouging himself with stones. I'm wondering maybe he's tired of the voices in his head, so he's gouging himself with these stones. We learn from the book of Luke that this same person in the book of Luke talks about him that he was also not wearing clothes. So he was naked, he was bleeding. He was terrified, probably, terrified at all the voices in his head. Maybe 3,000 voices in his head. Because the word legion refers to a Roman army unit of between 3,000 and 6,000 soldiers. So if these demons were telling the truth, this this one man could have between 3,000 and 6,000 demons in him. There are a lot of demons around. They're not just few. But these demons in the man, they see Jesus and they're immediately afraid. And they cause the man to run up to Jesus and to fall on his knees. It's a whole army of demons and they are cowering before Jesus. They know that there's no escape and they're desperate. So instead of trying to run away, they come to Jesus and they're trying to plead for good terms of surrender. They know the battle's finished, but they're pleading for good terms of surrender. Jesus orders the spirits to come out of the man. We see that in verse 8. But one of the weird things of this passage is they don't leave right away. I think that Jesus was allowing them to remain for a moment to demonstrate even more clearly his power in this dramatic event that's about to happen. So these demons, they plead to Jesus for mercy and then they correctly identify who he is and they say his name and his title. They know who he is. But this is possibly a significant thing to notice. Back in this historical time, there were many kinds of exorcists that would go around and their, their specialty, they would get paid for trying to drive demons out of people. And one of the tricks that these exorcists would use is they would try to discover the name of a person and they thought that if I get or the name of a demon in a person, if I get that demon's name, then I have power over that demon in the person. So maybe, we don't know, but maybe the demons were thinking somehow that they were going to have influence over Jesus by uh, stating his name. But in response, what does Jesus do? Jesus asked them their name or his name however you want to say it jesus asked their name and that's what we would expect we would expect an exorcist to try to figure out the name of the demon so that they can they can fight them but look what happens the demons dodge the question in verse 9 we see that they refuse to give jesus any name instead they give him a number legion is not a name it's a number They're dodging the question. They don't give Jesus all their names. Instead, they just give their number. Now, with an exorcist, maybe that would be the end of the encounter. But with Jesus, not so. Jesus has unequivocal power over demons. And he doesn't need the cheap exorcist tricks. He doesn't need to get their names. He still has total power over them, even without their names. And he's demonstrating that to the disciples. Unfortunately, I've heard of churches today. Maybe you've also heard who say that when we do exorcisms, when we drive demons out of people, we should try to talk to the demons and discover what is, what, what's the name of the demon, what sin does the demon specialize in, and then we can fight them better. I don't see that in this passage. What I see is that Jesus has total power over demons regardless of knowing their names. Don't try to have conversations with demons. Just focus on Christ and his power. Jesus is willing to then let the demons go into the pigs instead of destroying them. If you're like me, I want to see Jesus just wipe these demons out. And it's kind of a confusing thing also. Why does he allow them to exist? But we know in God's plan for this world, God wins. Satan loses. But the, the mysterious part is that God has allowed them a time to continue causing mischief, to continue to to disrupt our lives. It's temporary. We wait until Jesus returns, then he will take care of them for good. But we know, for this time, he allows them to keep doing what they want to do. They keep on disrupting people's lives. But Jesus also lets them go into the pigs, and we see all the pigs die. And that's also a confusing thing. We wonder... Those poor pigs, why did they have to die? We we think, imagine the loss for those farmers. It was like they lost everything. And we say, what a waste. I think what's happening here is an apocalyptic moment in history. This is a defining moment in history. Jesus is showing that his power, his power over demons, his power over the kingdom of darkness, is trumping all other concerns that people might have. And Jesus is also showing, I think, that he values one human soul more than all of these material things. And there's another thing to keep in mind as well. From the perspective of the disciples, they are Jewish. So for them, pigs are an unclean animal that they shouldn't touch, they shouldn't eat. So from their perspective, look at what Jesus is doing. In one decisive action, Jesus is removing unclean spirits and unclean animals from an unclean pagan land. Jesus is showing them that his power is complete. He can transform anything and everything in one moment. And to the disciples, they would see that and say, truly, Jesus is the Son of God. Unfortunately, the people of the area, they don't respond well to this opportunity to meet the Son of God. They have the opportunity to meet the Son of God, to begin a relationship with Him, but instead, they're afraid. They were afraid of the demon-possessed man to start with. But what's key is that they are even more afraid of Jesus. They see Jesus' tremendous power. They look at the man, Simon, being in his right mind, and they see Jesus as the one who's done that, and they are afraid. They don't know, how is Jesus going to use his power? They don't trust his goodness. They don't trust his goodness. They only saw his power. But in contrast, if you look at Simon, he's completely restored. He's now in his right mind. When we see him later, he's in clothes, he's dressed, and he's become a disciple. He goes and sits at the feet of Jesus. We don't know for how long. It could be only an hour before the other people came. It could be a few days, but this man became a disciple, sitting at the feet of Jesus, being taught and growing in his new faith. Then at the end of the story, the people who are so afraid, they beg Jesus to leave, and Jesus is willing to leave. But then we get one of the most confusing parts of the story. As Jesus is leaving, Simon begs with him, pleads with him, saying, Jesus, take me with you. I want to stay with you. You're the best thing that's ever happened in my life. I want to be with you like this. And Jesus says what sounds so insensitive and so unloving. He says no. It's shocking. <laughs> I was, think about this in the story. First, the demons beg Jesus. And Jesus listens to them. Then the people beg Jesus to leave. And Jesus listens to them. But now this man who loves Jesus who loves him desperately, begs. And Jesus says no. Jesus had something else in mind for him. The man is instead supposed to go and tell his friends and family about Jesus. But what is interesting is that Simon goes much farther than just his friends and family. He goes to the whole region of the Decapolis, which was a region of ten different independent Greek cities that are in this same kind of region. And it's like he goes to all these cities to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done. God used him as possibly the first missionary to the Gentiles in the New Testament. God had something better in mind for this man's life than what Simon himself thought. Which tells me and should tell you that next time, you're praying, and you're begging, and you're pleading, Lord Jesus, please, please do this for me. And you know what you're asking for is good. You know what you're asking for is right, and you're asking for it because you love Jesus, and because you love other people. When God says no, when God doesn't give you what you're begging for, remember that God's plan for your life is even better than your own plan for your life. Even when It seems hard. What we read in this story about the absolute power of Jesus over demons is just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus is reigning as king, and he still has total power over demons. I want to tell you another story. Just two months ago, one of my best friends in Uganda... Bishop Emmanuel, uh, he had an encounter with a demon-possessed woman. He was in his office working, very busy man, and suddenly this lady comes to the door, knocks on the door. She begins talking to him. They begin having a good conversation. He's trying to find out what she needs, if she needs to see a pastor or what. They begin talking, but suddenly she starts getting very violent. She started speaking violently and saying horrible things, and she started thrashing around Eventually, she was actually rolling on the floor. Emmanuel is a very wise person. He said, let me not try to deal with this alone. He runs out and gets some other church members who are around. They come back, and they pray for this lady. After they prayed for her, the demon came out of her with a yell, and she became restored to her right mind. She became settled. She became peaceful. And they shared the gospel with her. She trusted in Jesus as her savior. She became born again. Now she's going to church every week. She's in a small group and she's growing in Christ. It was a wonderful, beautiful story. Just like what Jesus did for Simon. Amen. Emmanuel is a Pentecostal. I'm not Pentecostal. Um, I haven't had many of these experiences, but he's also really well grounded in the Bible. Um so I was really curious to say, to hear what he would tell me about this story. So I asked him, I said, Emmanuel, um, did you have to yell at the demon to leave in Jesus' name? And he told me, no, we just asked God to take care of it, and Jesus took care of it. <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> I was expecting all these techniques and tactics that they had to do. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, As simple as that. You don't need to learn all these things. You don't need to get all these special techniques. If Jesus is in you, if you are born again, you know Jesus. If He is in you, then He's with you all the time. And He's real, and He's alive, which means you can talk to Him anytime, which means you're never alone. If you come face to face with this kind of thing, you call on Him to take care of it. And He will use His power To do so, Jesus has total, unequivocal power over demons. Okay, so what? What should we do in response? When we hear this good news about Jesus and His power over demons, what is our response? What is God calling us to do this week, this year? I want to quickly suggest Six things, very fast. Number one. You might expect me to say we should be shaken out of our complacency and focus more that demons are real and be warned. There's some truth to that, but what I want to focus on instead of that is that you don't leave feeling afraid, I want you to leave feeling at peace. Don't be afraid. Jesus is in complete control. And these stories I've told you, maybe they sound scary, but it was a shock for my friends as well. But in the moment, Jesus is with them, and He takes care of it. He doesn't leave you alone. He takes care of it. You should be aware of demons. You should be ready to fight them. But don't go out of here in fear. Be at peace. Don't be afraid. Jesus is with you. Don't be afraid. Number two, be grateful for what God has done. Some of us in the West have been ignoring this gift of freedom that Christ has given to us over demons. I think it, it, it differs from culture to culture. In our culture, in Western cultures, we focus a lot on our guilt and how in Christ we have forgiveness of our sin. We have justification. That's our focus. In other cultures around the world... They might focus less on that and more on Jesus gives me honor to take care of the problem of my shame. And in other cultures like Uganda, they're focused on Jesus has power to rescue me from darkness, to rescue me from bondage, to rescue me from spirits. It's not bad that we focus on one more than the others. Each culture is different. But I want to call us to being grateful to all that Jesus has done for us. And not just to focus on only one thing, but to appreciate all that Jesus has done. Ask yourself, do you live in fear of spirits? Were you ever possessed by a spirit? If you say no, then stop and thank God for that. Think about what the spiritual freedom that you have. Think about the Holy Spirit living in you. If you're not living in constant fear of demons, that's something to thank God about every day. A lot of our brothers and sisters in Uganda don't have that same kind of confidence, even Christians in the church. I'm sorry to say that it's common at the beginning of church services in Uganda for people to begin the service by yelling at Satan to leave the building. So to them I say, Jesus has total power over demons. Don't be afraid. Don't think about Satan so much. But for you... I say, maybe you haven't been thinking enough about what God has done for you. It's something that is a wonderful, amazing, beautiful gift of freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from bondage, and we need to thank God for it. Number three, talk about your beliefs. Don't be afraid to be called ignorant and uneducated for believing in demons. Let people say what they're going to say. If we're going to tell the world about Jesus and proclaim Him as the King, we also need to proclaim Him as the one who conquers demons. Even if that makes it sound like you're some crazy person, but it's what the Bible says in many places. Jesus is the one who conquers demons. It says that he Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. We need to be willing to talk about that to in order to praise Jesus for what He's done and to engage in the battle that we're called to do. And that leads to number four. Be ready to fight. Don't be afraid of being possessed. As a Christian, you can't be possessed. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. But in some mysterious way, I'll be honest with you, I don't fully understand. In some way, the Bible says that demons still can tempt us to sin. I don't know how that works. I don't know if they're speaking to us or what they're doing but in some way the Bible says be prepared be warned that demons do try to entice us to sin so we must be ready to fight we must fill our minds with truth be ready to recite scripture to fight against them and be ready to drive a demon out of someone I know that sounds crazy again but just like my friends weren't expecting that I don't know what will happen in your life be ready don't always assume that someone only has a mental illness or a personality problem. Of course, those things are there. Those are real also. You don't want to be the kind of person that says there's a demon behind every corner, behind every problem. Don't, don't be like that. But at the same time, don't be a person who never even allows for the possibility of a demon be, being behind something. You need to be somewhere in between. Be ready. To fight. Number five, this story teaches us that even the most evil person can be saved. Even the most vile person in your life is not beyond God's redemption. Simon was about the worst of the worst of the worst that you can get. Just an, a total criminal, total... Uh, he's running around naked, he's violent, he's breaking chains... I mean, it's hard to imagine things being much worse. This story teaches us that Jesus can make the most unclean person clean. There is no one beyond hope because God's power is that great to work in someone's life, to work in someone's heart. So I'm, I'm calling you, don't give up on people in your life who are evil, who are vile, who are obnoxious, who are people who have rejected God. Don't give up on them because... God's power can even change their heart. And last, number six, Jesus' redemption in us should lead us out into mission, just like Jesus called Simon to go out into mission. After we see what God has done for us, we go out and we share with others. We go out and talk about how Jesus is the one who conquers demons. We go out and proclaim the almighty Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, who rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Go out and tell the world who Jesus is. I want to end with a last story, and then we'll pray. I have a friend here in the United States, an American, and he lived a life of destructive sin and rejection of God for many, many years. And at the same time, he was kind of flirting around with Eastern religions and generic American spiritualities and it all looked pretty harmless to him. But somehow through those things, this friend of mine was plagued by spirits who came into his life and they plagued him for years and years. And they would constantly talk to him all throughout the day, these conversations he would have and he felt like he was crazy so he didn't tell anyone else and these These demons would taunt him. They would try to tell him secrets about other things. They would ridicule him. They just debilitated him. It was hard for him to do anything. And he didn't want to lose friends, so he suffered in secret. It makes me wonder how many people really out there are plagued by demons, but they're afraid to tell people in our culture. He suffered in secret. But thankfully, he heard the gospel, he trusted in Jesus, He became born again, and he finally found relief from those voices in his head. And I want to end with this quote that he told me just last week. He says, As scary as demonic powers can be, Jesus repeatedly stomps them out like bugs under his feet. (laughs) Jesus repeatedly stomps them out like bugs under his feet. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the comfort and encouragement it gives to us. Lord Jesus, you are the king of kings. Demons are pitiful compared to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to destroy the devil's work, to rescue us from darkness, to bring us into the light, to rescue us from fear, to rescue us from bondage. We thank you that you have total power over demons and we can go out and even if we are confronted with them, we don't have to fear because you are with us all the time. We thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray for us, Lord, that you would wake us up to the spiritual realm, that you would help us to be alert and wise, that we would be aware aware of spiritual things, not only material things, that you would make us ready to fight Make us ready to go out as liberators, to bring freedom to the captives, to proclaim your might over demons and the kingdom of darkness in the world. Make us ready. Fill us with your spirit. Help us also to live without fear. Help us to be people who preach the gospel, the good news about you, Lord Jesus. Give us opportunities to share our faith. Give us opportunities to share your love with people who need it. Lord, I pray for this church. I thank you for MEFC. I thank you for the people here, people who are not here. We thank you so much for the good things you're doing here among your people. I pray that you would make this church a light in a dark place, that you would use this church to drive away evil, that you would use this church to proclaim your power and your might and your goodness and your love, and that people in the city would, would hear, and that they would turn to you and find freedom, and that they would experience your love and joy. Use this church. Equip them by your mighty power. Fill each person with your Holy Spirit. Give them courage. Give them confidence. Give them union with you. Let them feel your presence with them. Let them go out boldly and in confidence, knowing that they have nothing to be afraid of. You, Almighty Jesus, are on our side. We love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.